The Earning the Push podcast is on the air, a show by fans for wrestling fans to do the two things we love the most. Talk about wrestling and what we would do if we were in charge. My name is Jack Murley. I'm a professional broadcaster. Alongside me each and every week is the Brodus Clay to my Chavo Guerrero, the Omos to my AJ Styles, the Stone Cold Steve Austin to my ringmaster, the pro athlete, the one and only Charlie Beckett. <laughs> I'm laughing, Charlie, because last week we said that you had a game against Sarah on Monday night, we record on Tuesday. You might be a little worse for wear. How are you? Yeah, all right. You can probably tell by my voice that I probably spent a little bit too much time cutting promos on my opposition last night rather than actually having my action in the ring. It was um, an interesting night against a very, very, very good Saracen side who gave us a little bit of a lesson in rugby at times. But it was all good fun. And as ever, at Tuesday at 11 o'clock, I'm excited to be here talking wrestling with you, mate. And we've got a lot to digest after the weekend we've just had, haven't we? We th- this is great. You sound like um JR the night after WrestleMania 23 or that No Way Out when Michael Cole just um his voice just went and JBL had to call it. And my God, uh, I hope it holds out for this podcast because we have loads to get into. The final part of our John Cena retirement fantasy booking to come. Your thoughts on AEW emails coming in to earning the push podcast at hotmail.com at Charlie underscore Beckett is him. I'm at Jack underscore Murley. We are recording just uh, 48 hours removed from Wrestlemania backlash there's one thing on my mind Charlie do we start with it do we end with it what do you want to do here let's get it out of the way because I actually thought that what we're about to talk about aside it was a very very strong pay-per-view that was loads of positives to talk about but there is the elephant in the room and that elephant is in the shape of zombies I like to think I'm a pretty open-minded wrestling fan but one thing I didn't ever need and I don't ever need again is zombies in my wrestling. Just, I know they've got to deal with the army of the dead, but who signed off on that? Who said, yeah, a lumberjack match with zombies, the fans are going to buy into that. I think if you're a wrestling fan, you accept a certain amount of suspension of belief. And I think some of the reasons people don't get into wrestling is they can't suspend their disbelief about these two people aren't really fighting. And if you can accept that, then you can go perhaps to a a smaller lad beating a bigger lad. And if you can accept that, you can accept Orange Cassidy's offense. And if you can accept that, you don't mind a bit of The Undertaker. My tolerance for this type of thing in wrestling is so far back from zombies. What were they thinking? I, I just don't know. Like There were so many ways they could have promoted Army of the Dead as a film on their pay-per-view without having the zombies be the lumberjacks. I just... I can't believe that anyone at Army of the Dead said, we want to give you our money, but you have to do this match. I can only think that's been a WWE idea. I can only think that one man in WWE thought that was a good idea. And I just think we all know it's the man at the top of the chain. And that Vince McMahon's gone, hmm, zombies, yeah, I could do something with this. And just, yeah, you can do something, Vince, but it doesn't always mean you should. And um, it was not a good idea. Don't you think there must have been a point backstage at the Thunderdome where, and I assume they're developmental wrestlers, they're all lined up as zombies. And don't you think they're all looking at each other going, are we sure lads? Are we zombies? Are we absolutely certain? I feel for Miz, and we've just seen from his 24, the work he puts in and what a profession is. Imagine their reaction when they got told, by the way, lads, your lumberjack match is gonna, it's gonna be zombies. They must have just laughed. And like, 
I don't think, like I say, I don't think anyone in that company could think it was a good idea, apart from the man in charge. At the end of the day, his opinion is all that matters. But you've seen that we've talked about now, it's going down badly. You see all the reaction online. I don't think there's a single person who's enjoyed it. I don't think anyone's more likely to watch Batista's film because of it. I don't think anyone's more. And look, I get it. There are always promotional gimmicks. But but for me, the wider point, and I'm different to you on this, I'm pretty sure, is it left a really bad taste in my mouth because I, I give WWE so many chances. I want to enjoy what they're doing. I go back. We've got the great Mysterio match before. There's a real story there. I'm hyped about Cesaro and Roman Reigns. And then you see that and you think, don't do this to me, WWE. Come on. I, I won't lie. I saw, what, I saw it. I just skipped the whole match. I was like, I haven't. I haven't got enough time in my day to be what to spend 15 minutes watching this nonsense. Like I, I saw enough that I could talk about here. What it was about? I saw bits of it, but I don't feel like indebted to WWE that I have to watch everything. Like there's so much good wrestling out there now. If they don't give me a reason to watch, and zombies is giving me a reason not to watch, I'm not going to. I, I think my favorite thing is. is, is... I have a stupid thing we're talking about. There's this zombie apocalypse around the ring, and they carry on wrestling. They 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 just think I got zombies around the ring. What do I need? I need a three count or a submission. Because damn it, I'm winning this match. I mean, for goodness' sake. Um, shall we put that to one side and talk about the rest of the card? That's far too much time for grown men to be talking about zombies. Away from that nonsense. And if you enjoyed it earning the push podcast at hotmail.com. We would love to have you tell us why that was a good thing away from that. Charlie, what were your favorite moments from the pay-per-view? I actually thought the other four matches were all very good. I was, it was a shame for Bailey and Bianca that their finishing spot didn't quite work. Uh, Cause I actually really quite enjoyed how they incorporated her hair as part of the storyline and mm. how um, Bailey used it for the Bailey's belly. I thought was very clever. So that was a shame for them that she slipped while she was trying to hold her with her hair, but I enjoyed that match. I thought the women's triple threat to open up was a very strong match. The Mysterio storyline is brilliant. Uh, I love that they gave it a little bit more story of uh, Ziggler and Rue taking out Dominic before the match. I really enjoyed that. And I saw, I think you tweeted about it, why it wasn't in front, why it wasn't at WrestleMania that moment of Dominic and Ray getting the tag titles will, will baffle me forever. But what a brilliant story that is. Far like, can't really begin to fathom how much that means for both of them. Um, I love that they gave a little throwback to Dominic's actual father, Eddie, with him um, <laughs> with the frog splash to win it. The two men's titles matches at the end, I thought, stole the show. I thought the triple threat between Braun, Drew and Bobby was everything you'd want it to be. Just three massive lads actually lumped out of each other 15 minutes straight. Bell to bell, it didn't stop. And then the universal title match was a brilliant match, but only... Only slight fault with it was I wanted a little bit more storyline. I would have liked the Usos to be involved somehow. And there's a great story to be told there. I don't know if they're just holding fire on that. But the ending of the pay-per-view fascinated me with Seth Rollins coming out and getting involved. First of all, he stared down with Roman. And we spoke about it the other week on how they're tapping into their history of actually, I'm the only man around who isn't scared of you and doesn't have to acknowledge you because we've been through all this before together. But also, Rollins clearly isn't done with Cesaro. And that makes me want to think that Cesaro isn't done with the main event scene either, because I thought he was absolutely fantastic at the weekend. The fact that that's his in 10 years' first shot at a world title is just beggar's belief. When you, see, when you think about some of the people who've held the titles and who've challenged over the last 10 years, 
I think zombies aside may end up being the catchphrase going forward for this podcast. Um, Scott, who actually does the artwork for, for the Making the Push podcast here, if you don't follow him on social media, uh, you're doing yourself a disservice. Scott Palfrey is where you need to go. Uh, says, gents, uh, enjoyed Backlash, some good and some very sloppy stuff. I'm guessing Cesaro is only going to be one shot and will be pushed back to feuding with Rollins. Uh, I found the Lashley match was obvious. It was annoying at the end. Cesaro was gold as ever. Uh, I really like Damian Priest dislike the Miz the zombie idea was awful um I'm struggling to see who will take the title off Roman Reigns given how strongly he has been booked I think that's a legitimate point to make Charlie I don't think it's a concern as of yet because I am by no means bored of the the Roman Reigns character but I'm intrigued to see who over the next three four five months they begin to build to his level because he's so dominant it's not a concern, but it's interesting that WWE have booked him so well that you don't understand who could. I think that's the only slight issue that might come in is, I like I didn't think for a second that Cesaro was going to beat him last night, just not because Cesaro shouldn't be a world champion, not because I don't want Cesaro to be a world champion, but because the Roman story is so strong at the moment that it's just not the right time to end it. Now, I don't know who you can give a good enough story to it's a good enough story to end Roman's story in, in this case, but you've got to do that before it becomes stale. And that's, that's the tough line to, uh, to tread, isn't it? Because if you took it off him now, everyone would say way too early. There's so much more to run with with this. But how quickly does it go from too early to too late? And we're bored of him. Now, we spoke off air about this. I think, I think I saw this idea. I think it was Gary Cassidy on Twitter. And if it wasn't him, I'm sorry to whoever it was. But have they moved Hell in a Cell to summer because they're going to go with some sort of Reigns versus Jimmy or Jimmy versus Jay in Hell in a Cell to bring the whole family feud full circle and get that involved again, because that's that's the bit of this story that fascinates me most, is acknowledging his head of the table, the Anawaii family story. That's, that's what I want to see more of. So at Hell in a Cell, I do feel like that's the sort of feud that is almost worthy of a Hell in a Cell, and I am interested in how they're going to bring Jimmy into the fold, because I think eventually... That's the stable everyone wants to see. I want to see Roman at the top, and I want to see the Usos be heel tag team champions, and I want to see them heal it up to take them off the off the Mysterios, and I want to see the Bloodline, the Anawais, the, the Tribal Chief, the family, with all the gold on SmackDown. And I think it's interesting that that yeah, and you know we're howling at the moon as wrestling fans. I don't. I haven't met, and again, maybe you are this wrestling fan. If you are, tell us, earning the push podcast at hotmail.com. I haven't read, met any wrestling fan who loves the idea of these themed pay-per-views where you crowbar in a feud just for the sake of the gimmick match. However, it does seem that WWE moving it forward might be going in that sort of direction. Um, two things that have come in to us. Um, this is from Darren. Um, one thing he suggested is, wouldn't it be great to give Rey Mysterio and Dominic Mysterio those old tag team titles they used to have on SmackDown that Eddie and Rey held as a little nod to what they've got going on? And wouldn't a feud between the Usos and the Mysterios over these conflicting ideas of family be really compelling and I love the idea of Dominic shooting his mouth off to the Usos and saying yeah we're family too but look at the way we do things and I thought yeah I I, I can get behind that yeah absolutely I think they've got to bring Jimmy into the fold I think everyone sees that that's where it's got to go I think not doing that in the long run would be a booking mistake I think it's fascinating that they didn't bring him straight in that there is this bit of tension between them that's great but like there was with Jay originally 
Roman had to beat him to bring him in. Maybe they'll have to do that with uh, with Jimmy. And yes, an Usos versus Mysterios feud would be brilliant because the Usos, I don't think they get the respect they deserve. They are one of the greatest tag teams ever, in my opinion. One of my favourite feuds ever of all time is that summer long Usos versus the New Day, which finished in Hell in a Cell. It, does, it doesn't come much better than that. And the Usos more than have their own that. They are excellent. So I'd love to see that on the old belts. It's a whole different discussion how much I'd love to see old belts back because this is not a good crop of belts WWE have at the moment. They are they are not pretty title belts, are they? I don't think the UK title is the best belt. And then I quite like the new Intercontinental one. But apart from that, just these ones with the big WWE logo in the middle, I'm actually, they, just, they just look tacky, don't they? Well, I mean, you're the pro athlete. You you play for pride and sure, it's your job, but you play because you want trophies and medals. And could you imagine if you guys won the championship or when, you know, you had your premiership spell and they said, it's a trophy and it's just a big logo of the championship or the premiership. No one wants that. No, especially when you look back at some of the old belts, well, like the, everyone talks about the Eagle belt and the big gold belt and the old IC belt. I just, they're all, they're all just a lot prettier. They're would a lot you, prettier. Would you ever, because I've had this conversation about how rich I'd need to get to justify buying a proper, proper replica title belt. And that it, that if I won the lottery, it would be happening. Yeah, I think I'd have to have a lot of excess cash and then it'd be able to get one. It's when you see grown men at shows with like one over each shoulder and you're like, I know they cost, that's cost you the best part of a thousand pounds to have both of them. And like, you either have a lot of money or you really love wrestling. Yeah, and, and the point is, we're all like, I can't believe they've done that, but God, if we could afford it, yeah, we'd be doing exactly, exactly, exactly the same. Exactly the same. Uh, Earning the Push podcast, uh, coming up after the break, which is in a few minutes' time, the final part of Fantasy Booking John Cena. We've got part two of Andrew's I Wrap Mine Up, uh, and we will be doing the new challenge. We'll be setting you what it is. Charlie doesn't know what it is yet, so it's going to be a surprise for him. Uh, and we'll also do the things that you are pushing and the things you're sending back to developmental in everyday life. Um, before that, obviously, WWE has stolen the wrestling scene with WrestleMania Backlash, but plenty of thoughts still coming into this show uh, on the topic of blood and guts and AEW. And this comes to us from Ross. He says, hi, Jack and Charlie. Loving the new podcast and very much enjoying the in-depth booking angles you're sharing for John Cena's final run in the WWE. I'm also enjoying your review of AEW Blood and Guts, which incidentally, I finished watching just before I listened to the podcast. I should clarify all of what I'm about to say by telling you I'm a casual wrestling fan. I watch the pay-per-views and the main events, but I don't do watch wrestling on a weekly basis. So no SmackDown and Raw for me. It's too much soap opera and not enough wrestling. I personally, says Ross, think AEW are at a crossroads for the moment, and the next 12 to 18 months could make or break them. I really enjoyed Blood and Guts, particularly the Cody Rhodes versus QT Marshall match, which ended in a sublime figure four leg lock, and it's great to see matches finishing with old school wrestling moves. And I must stress, it was a good match that I liked. However, I found the rest of the show totally baffling. The first match was confusing. Why is MT Nakazama carrying a laptop round? Has there been some sort of IT issue that he's planning to fix backstage, or is he planning to wrestle the match via Zoom? Once a match starts, you have the chaos of fellas in Hawaiian shirts running in and pummeling everyone in the ring. And the point I'm making is that none of this was properly explained. 
When I watch a WWE pay-per-view, says Ross, the commentators fill in the backstory for me, and there's a 60-second setup video. WWE are very good at inviting the casual fan in and saying, hey, look at what this is about. This is a good guy, this is the bad guy, and here's why it matters. None of AEW's booking made any sense to me, and even JR seemed to be getting a bit angry at the commentators. I'm also struggling to keep up with all the factions, Inner Circle, The Pinnacle, etc. Apart from the NWO, which is a gold standard, I've never enjoyed factions in wrestling, as once you've seen half a dozen wrestlers run into the ring to attack someone during a match, you've seen it all. I think AEW is struggling from two key recurring problems, overhype and bad endings. For example, we saw it with the fanfare surrounding their big Hall of Famer, that turned out to be Christian. AEW Revolution in the exploding ring was just clearly some leftover Guy Fawkes sprinklers, and at Blood and Guts, another naff ending. I think AEW has the potential to be really good, and they have some great talent, and they've clearly been limited in what they can do because of COVID, and it's great we're getting any wrestling at all. So full praise for that, and as a product, I enjoy it. But I do worry on the over-reliance on overhype, bad endings, and signing of old legends that isn't working for them. They've got the talent. Cut out the gimmicks, just deliver us some great old-school wrestling, because frankly, that's what Cody does best. Super to see Arn Anderson, too. Keep up the good work on the podcast from Ross. Um, a fair assessment. What do you make of that? Yeah, it's a hell of an email from Ross. You're coming for our job. <laughs> um, it's actually very interesting because I've said to you, and I made no secret of it, AEW isn't my first choice of wrestling. And if one of them's going to fall by the wayside in the week for me, it will be AEW, just because I'm a bit of a WWE fanboy, always have been. And it, it cares a little bit to more what more what my wrestling taste is. So actually, when he's talking about some of the backstory not being explained, I do actually understand him with that because I find myself sometimes pausing shows and going and have to Google to find out exactly what's going on. Now, that's, that's, I don't feel that's AEW's fault, per se, because they're catering to their week-to-week fans who are extremely invested. And there's a lot of them. They get over a million fans every week. But I do get his point on, you do lose the casuals a little bit there. Like, like I'm not a casual wrestling fan, but I'm probably a slightly more casual AEW fan than you who I know watches every week. So, actually, yeah, I get that point, but I don't know if that's what they're going for. I don't know if they are they maybe trying to be a little bit more of a throwback to a hardcore wrestling promotion where actually, yeah, you do need to watch every week to know what's going on because maybe that does mean they get more people going, I can't miss it this week because I won't know what happens at the pay-per-view. I won't understand a big, a big ending. But on the flip side, it is what WWE do better than anyone else is they just they just bring the casuals back in. That's why they consistently have the big numbers on Raw, the big numbers on SmackDown, the big numbers on their pay-per-views because they you you can watch a three-minute promo package for a match and pretty much know everything you need to know. Now that doesn't mean I don't think the WWE do simple booking. I just think they are, and we've spoken about this off air, the absolute kings and queens of promo packaging. And it's not just investing, I mean in sports and in entertainment in general. Some of the promo packages they put out, even their basic ones are brilliant, but when they decide they're going to go for one, they're, they're an art form in themselves. And I think that that problem is that's the gold standard we hold any wrestling promotion to, and no one's going to come near to it. Yeah, it, it's this is going to sound morbid. I don't mean it to be, but sometimes when a wrestler passes is when you know how good WWE when they put together those tribute packages Um, and I think there's something to that email because I do watch more AEW than you do the characters the stories I'm most invested in are the ones they've told me on AEW television Sammy Guevara Darby Allen MJF the stuff that harks back to New Japan with the elite and who's in and who's out and all of that 
doesn't really work as much for me. Uh, but hey, maybe you think differently. Earning the Push podcast at hotmail.com at Charlie underscore Beckett is him. I'm at Jack underscore Murley. Um, there was plenty of love in particular on AEW. We just have to mention, I'm sure you saw it, Charlie, one bump that Darby Allen took in his uh, unsuccessful uh, TNT championship defense against Miro, where he flew out of the ring bounced into Miro and disappeared into the next state. I mean, what a bump that was. Yeah, I saw it on um, Thursday morning on Twitter and I went and watched a bit of the match because of it. I was like, he's just, no, he has no care for his safety there. And actually, I don't know if it's skill or if it's luck that he bounces safely. He just bangs into him. Miro's a big boy and he just flies off, doesn't he? It's, visually, it's a brilliant spot. It's, it's just, it's a lovely spot visually and, you don't know if it's luck or I'm going to say it was skill that it came off safely. So fair play to them both. But that's when people when people give you the old oh, wrestling's fake. I'm like, yes, I know. I, wrestling is predetermined is, is the is the correct phrase because don't tell me these guys don't and girls don't go through physical pain. Like you watch the bumps they take and you watch the things they do. Like you're not telling me after that match, Derby was like, oh, I feel fine. Here. He's not waking up next morning not sore. So. Yeah, it's predetermined, and yes, they aren't really trying to hurt each other, but you can't do what they do without hurting. And every anyone who steps in the ring and takes a bump has all the respect in the world for them, because I'm not sure I could do it. And Darby Allen is just cool. I mean, the guy's out there in denim hot pants and tights and a face paint, and I'm looking at him going, "You're cool. You're a cool it, guy." It takes it takes a pretty a pretty cool and Matt, a cool man who's pretty sure of himself to pull that look off. The fact that he's having to go out there and do it, and we're going, yeah, he's pulling it off, and that puts me in the cool category straight away. I mean, people don't know what we wear for the podcast. I can assure you it's nothing like that. Um, James on Twitter says, Jack, that Derby bump is phenomenal. I've not seen anything like it before in 25 years of watching pro wrestling. Uh, the Sport Foundation said, I can't stop watching it. Chris says, it was an awesome bump. Everything about AEW so on point. The actual matches are so entertaining. So that's what's happening in the wrestling scene at the moment. Do not go anywhere. We're taking a break. And when we come back, the final part of fantasy booking John Cena. Your scenario is mine. We're doing earning the push and back to developmental as well so stick with us Welcome back. Part two of the Earning the Push podcast, Jack Murley and Charlie Beckett. This is a part of the show where we fantasy book uh, how we would do something if we ruled the roost. We kicked off Charlie two weeks ago with John Cena's final run. This has gone fantastically well. It's the last week of this before we set something new for next week. Um, lots of people loving your scenario last week. Lots of people enjoying that. I was a little bit nervous, especially after um, you read Andrews, and I thought he completely outdid mine. I was like, they're going to think, why is, why is this lad involved in hosting it? Because he's been completely outdone. But no, and like I say, the main thing is, it was just so much fun to do. I had, my girlfriend was sat there, and I was, I was meant to be doing some work, actual work, and I was doing my John Cena, John Cena booking. She was like, I was like, oh, you've been working hard. That's the quietest I've heard you in a while. Because I don't, when I'm doing my, I do a bit of studying alongside playing. I'm doing my work. I'm, I'm looking for any distraction. I'm not good at it. And she was like, oh, you've really got into that. And I was like, yeah, I've been writing about wrestling for the last hour. I haven't, I haven't been doing my studying. So I got very into it. And I'm very intrigued to hear yours, the end of Andrews, anyone else who sent in, and also what we're doing next week, because I was under the assumption that we were deciding together what our next one was, but it doesn't seem that's the way it's gone. Oh, well, um, it's our first fight. How about that on the <laughs> podcast? It's our first fall in that. Well, I, okay, I tell you what, I tell you what. I'll set this one for a couple of weeks and then you can set the next one. How is that? Sounds perfect. 
Does it sound perfect though? Or is this like the start of your heel turn where you're going to throw me through a window and be like, this is where it started. You screwed me on the booking. Well, we'll see. We'll oh, see. Good. Excellent. We'll see. Okay, right. So uh, Andrew's to finish off in a moment. We're going to go with mine to start. So we hear Andrew's, which I think is going to send mine, you know, into a different stratosphere. It's far better than mine. But my fancy booking, uh, we ended with John Cena walking away after a loss to The Miz at SummerSlam. So that's where we pick things up. And I'm like, yo, there's scribbled notes here, post-its everywhere. Um, So Cena walks away after his SummerSlam loss to The Miz, and he's not seen for a month. And there's speculation about John Cena's future. And The Miz goes off and does something else. The Miz is leaving this. He's using beating Cena to propel himself into a different title feud or something different. But Miz is now moving away from John Cena. And the speculation about Cena is where he's gone, what he's up to. Is the Doctor of Thugonomics actually coming back? But by September, Michael Cole does some breaking news on SmackDown. He's got an exclusive interview with John Cena, and it's a sit-down at Cena's home. And they go to Cena's home, and he's very humble in his interview. There's lots of shots of photos on the wall, old title belts hanging up. It's almost got the feel of a retrospective. And this isn't all piss and vinegar, John Cena. This is a humble John Cena who says he knows he's not the athlete he was, but he's not done yet. And that for nearly two decades, he's been telling people to come get some. Well, now it's time for John Cena to go and get some of what he wants. He's coming to the end of his career. His time is limited. He needs to do the things that make him happy and satisfy him. And what John Cena wants is one more shot at the gold. He wants to be world champion one more time. And he believes he has earned that shot. Even with his loss to Miz, he thinks he's entitled to it. And he's going to make it happen. So Cena looks straight down the lens of the camera and says he means business. He's coming to get some. And if you're a world champion, watch your back. And that's how it ends. And so we're beginning to get a bit of a sting vibe off John Cena. Not full crow in the rafters, but some psychological games. And for the next month, every champion is on edge. And they build the tension about who John Cena is going to challenge. And one day his, his music will hit in NXT. And then the next SmackDown, Roman Reigns will go into his locker room and see a Cena hat on his title belt. No one knows where John Cena is going to cash in that final chip of that final world title shot. Well, eventually, after about six weeks of this, we're at the end of Raw, and Drew McIntyre, who is the WWE champion, has just finished a title defense, and he's standing in the ring, and his music is playing, and then Cena's music hits. And every commentator, every fan is questioning, is he actually here? And out comes Cena, and hopefully by this point, there's a big pop for the fact that John Cena is finally here. And he comes out, he looks Drew in the eye, looks at the WWE title and mouths, I'll see you at the Rumble. No microphone, it's just picked up on the camera and Drew nods and smiles and they shake hands. And as Cena looks to leave the ring, Drew decimates Cena from behind with a claymore. And then we see the most brutal beatdown in the PG era of WWE, Drew annihilate Cena. He bloodies him. He batters him. He stops the trainers getting into the ring. It's almost like a bit of a hostage situation. It gets really uncomfortable and it gets so uncomfortable that Vince McMahon comes out from Gorilla to check on John Cena as Drew is standing with Cena's blood smeared across his chest. So we got Drew going heel and turning on John Cena. 
and CNET is out. And as far as everyone's concerned, he's not coming back. And Drew is really leaning into this heel run. Who do you think you are, Cena, to tell me when you're going to show up? You don't set the rules around here. I'm Drew McIntyre. I'm the champ. If you're going to come for me, I'm going to take you out on my terms. And everyone thinks that Cena's done. So along we go to the Rumble, and Drew is defending his title. It's a no disqualifications match against Edge. And Cena intervenes and costs Drew McIntyre the title. Edge wins it. Nice bit of symmetry there with Cena helping his old, uh, old rival Edge. And as Cena is pulled away by security, John Cena's shouting at Drew, I told you I'd see you at the Rumble. Well, the next night on Raw, John Cena explains that he now has one goal and one goal left. He's not going to get that 17th world title. What matters most to him is taking out Drew McIntyre on the grandest stage of them all. Win, lose or draw, that is what Cena is going to get in his final match. And they build it like WrestleMania 17, pull apart, sit downs, training videos. They're kept apart. They don't touch until Mania where Drew beats Cena clean in a war. And afterwards, they shake hands. Drew nods and leaves a ring to John Cena, who departs as a fallen champion, but a champion nonetheless in the heart of the fans. And that is how I would book the end of John Cena. I like that a lot. I like that a lot. I like that we get a badass uh, heel Drew, which I think we'll get one day. I think that will be a lot of fun to watch. Scottish psychopath. I like that Edge is champion again. I think Edge has got one more good champion running him. And most importantly, I like that Cena goes out putting someone over, because I think that's important. I, I, I am a big believer in the veterans should put people over when they finish, but that he gets that round of applause, standing ovation at WrestleMania that he he deserves. And it was that when I booked mine, I wanted him by that point to get the cheers from the fans. I, I, don't, I do want John Cena to get the reception he deserves. I think he's given so much to the industry and basically had it, whether it was right or wrong, he had very much had it on his back for a long time, didn't he? So I like that a lot, mate. I enjoyed that. Now, we enjoyed it, but it won't be as good as Andrew's. Well, because... no, no, nothing will. Andrew, <laughs> Andrew, I, I, I respect Andrew, but I'm not sure I like him because I feel like <laughs> he's just going to outdo us in everything. We, what we need to do is find out what Andrew doesn't like in wrestling and start doing booking around that so he doesn't outdo us every time. Okay, we'll do like a bra and panties special, maybe, or something incredibly obscure. Like, I'm not sure. The... I'm not sure I can do that. <laughs> you're the general manager of Velocity. How are you booking oh, Nunzio? That's what oh I'm... god. No. Um. Well, look, we'll do Andrews in a tick. Uh, a reminder: Earning the Push Podcast is the email address. That's Earning the Push Podcast at hotmail.com at Charlie underscore Beckett at Jack underscore Merley. We'll tell you what we want you to be booking for next week in a moment. But here is Andrews. Now, as we were left. It was John Cena teaming up with Daniel Bryan at Fastlane uh, with both Usos tapping out at the same time to the STF and the Yes Lock. So here's where Andrew picks it up. Uh, early in the show, Paul Heyman emerges from Roman Reigns' dressing room looking worried. He tells Kayla Braxton that Reigns has promised to punish the Usos for their failure later tonight, and he has never seen Reigns so angry. In the final segment, Reigns has gathered the Usos in the ring and asks how they failed how they failed, excuse me, against someone they banished from SmackDown a year ago and an actor who thinks he's still a wrestler. Reigns tells them they've disgraced the family's legacy and for that, they must pay a penance. He makes Jimmy and Jay hit each other with steel chairs before taking it over and laying them out. 
Reigns then gets back on the mic and says, if Cena wants to write his own death warrant, he will put the myth that is John Cena six foot under where the most eyes will be able to see him get exposed for the fraud he is. So that will happen at WrestleMania. Before Reigns can leave, though, Cena appears out of nowhere, hits Reigns with an AA, holds a universal title over him as the show goes off the air, with Heyman shocked in the background. On the next SmackDown, Reigns does an interview in his locker room and says that Cena claims he doesn't want to become a hypocrite, but it's too late. He already is one. Reigns points out that 10 years ago, Cena was the one who was calling out uh, Reigns' family for turning his book back on WWE to make it big in Hollywood. But as soon as the opportunity to be in movies came along, Cena forgot wrestling and about his fans. Reigns claims that Cena tells everyone to never give up, and he gave up on wrestling because he thought he could be a bigger star doing something else. And now Cena's trying to come back into a world that doesn't want him anymore, a world that belongs to Roman Reigns. He says he thought that Cena made the biggest mistake of his life by coming back and challenging him, but he was wrong. The biggest mistake Cena ever made was hitting him with a cheap shot last week. Reigns says that will mean that Cena not only loses the match at WrestleMania, but his career as well. On the next SmackDown, Reigns takes a ringside seat as the Usos return to action ahead of a tag title defense at Mania. Cena is backed by a satellite and says that Reigns is not the first person to call him a hypocrite for getting into acting, and he won't be the last. But he reminds Reigns that when he said those things 10 years ago, he was talking to The Rock and he came at him with respect. And the last time they met, Cena beat The Rock for the WWE Championship. Cena says that everyone knows when it comes to their family, The Rock is the star and that Reigns is the one who can't handle living in his cousin's shadow. Cena says that whenever Reigns has been on his own, he's never been able to become the star that everyone says he was destined to be. Cena says every single thing he has done, Cena did off his own back, whereas Reigns needed the Shield and the Usos, and on his own, he's not the same. That's why at WrestleMania, says Cena, Reigns will come up short, and Cena will call himself the first ever 17-time world champion. On the 25th, it's contract signing time on SmackDown. Cena speaks first and recaps what's been happening. The opponents Reigns has beaten, the shortcuts, the brainwashings and beatings on the Usos, and the arrogance that comes with believing he's untouchable. Cena says that will be his undoing at WrestleMania. Pride goes before a fall, and Reigns has a long way to come back down to earth. Cena says he's beaten them all, and he'll do the same to Reigns at Mania. Reigns says Cena is delusional. Cena in his prime would have been a worthy challenger, but he hasn't won a one-on-one -on -one match at Mania for seven years. So where is the confidence coming from, John? Reigns calls Cena arrogant, but Cena says that after two years away, he could just walk back in and challenge the best in the world. Well, that's more arrogant than anything Reigns has ever done. Reigns says Cena accused him of not being able to get the job done on his own, so Cena has his word. At Mania, it'll be Roman Reigns versus John Cena. No interference, no distractions, no excuses. But the thing, John, says Roman Reigns, is that that's WrestleMania, and this is SmackDown. The Usos attack John Cena, and though he appears to fight them off, the numbers game proves too much, and Reigns powerbombs Cena through the table to stand tall. On the SmackDown before Mania, two days ahead, there's a final in-ring face-off. Security's divided the champion and challenger to make sure things don't break down. Cena speaks first and says that years ago, when people started to tell him to think about winding down, he would ask they, they would ask him who should replace him as the face of WWE. Cena says there was only one ever answer, Roman Reigns. Cena says he can remember that Reigns was someone who could carry the company for the next 15 years, someone they could all be proud of. For Cena, the title is a huge prize, the biggest honor the industry has to offer, and to be able to say he was a 17-time world champ would be the world. 
but it's also personal because Reigns has turned his back on his audience, his integrity, his respect, and on the company. Reigns starts to laugh and says he can see through all of Cena's BS. Reigns says Cena can try to convince himself he came back out of honor to add to his legacy, but at the end of the day, Cena came back out of jealousy. Like so many others, he couldn't handle that the WWE kept going after him and that like so many other sheep in the audience, he was just another cog in the machine after all. Rain says he drove Cena to Hollywood because when Cena stood in the ring facing Roman Reigns, he knew his time was up. But no matter how much the great John Cena tried to put wrestling behind him, he can never let go of the fact that he was no match for Roman Reigns. Reigns points out whether on TV or not, with a title on the line or not, Cena has never beaten him. Why should it be any difference at WrestleMania? Reigns says deep down, Cena knows that he isn't going to win. Cena knows he's walking into his last match because while Cena has been busy trying to forget, Reigns has been getting bigger and better. Reigns wishes Cena luck, not for the match because that's a foregone conclusion, but for being able to walk out of the building under his own power. And in 48 hours, the WWE Universe will have Roman Reigns to thank for never seeing John Cena again. At WrestleMania 38, Roman Reigns defeats John Cena clean, with no weapons, no interference, in a fairly one-sided 15-minute match to retain the Universal title and send John Cena off into the sunset. So in-depth, I love it. I love all the detail. I'm a, I'm a sucker for the detail. I just feel like I could see the promos happening. And I'm a, I love when they like split the ring with, with bodyguards. That's one of my favourite yes. visuals in wrestling. It's one of my favourites. Uh, I really enjoyed that. Uh, shock. Shock the contract signing didn't go well. Has a contract signing ever gone well in WWE? <laughs> but no, I like that. And I feel like it's a story they should have told. Well, they tried to when they did Cena versus Reigns last time. Yeah. Then put it out. Was it Vengeance or Backlash? Like, uh, it was, it was just, No uh, Mercy or something. No Mercy. It? It, was, it was a pay-per-view. The fact that we can't remember says, says it all. Like, it's a mania. It's a mania-worthy event. I actually, I really enjoyed the promos in the build-up to that actual match because the lines of what was a shoot and what was a work were, were blurred. I think you could get that again here with Reigns and his best, the best incarnation of Roman Reigns we've seen. I think it's a great storyline and Andrew's booked it really well. And I'll be waiting for my P45 and the post from this podcast because I won't be needed anymore with him doing that. Now, look, um, I want to talk about the Usos in a moment. You've signed contracts for clubs. Mm-hmm. Are contract signings like they are in WWE, or could you make them like that? Could that be a stipulation? I I signed my first professional contract on my dad's back in the rain in Crosby because I'd forgotten I need. I was moved to Leicester, and all the I was sixteen, and all the excitement I'd forgotten to sign the contract. I'd, I'd just forgotten I had to do it, so I was like, "Oh God, I've got to sign it." So it wasn't quite as dramatic or exciting, but. When I next sign a contract, I'm going to ask that we get a ring and a table on the opposite sides of it. We have a good, we have a good 20 minute chat before it, which definitely wouldn't have happened already. And then we sign it, and then I power bomb the DOR through the table. Can I? Can I be the one who sort of officiates it? Who just stands with the hands behind his back yes. and, and just you, looks at the clipboard and looks so shocked when it goes badly because that's never happened before. The, the interesting thing about this um, storyline from Andrew, which was sensational is it, it, it comes to a point you were saying earlier, how crucial the Usos are to that Roman Reigns character and the potential for storyline. I got sort of goosebumps on the arm, the idea that Roman Reigns could compel his two cousins to hit each other with chairs. But don't you want to see that? Man, that was dark. I listened to that bit and I was like, oh, Andrew's got dark early here. Yeah, like, it's that whole 
controlling and emotional manipulation almost, isn't it? And actually, it's when wrestling gets blurred into reality into quite serious issues, that's when it's almost at its best. And actually, the face turn you get from the Usos when they eventually turn against Roman, it's going to be huge, isn't it? So, yeah, I'm a big, big, big fan of everything like that. And, and you know me well enough to know, long-term booking and harking back to storylines. Well, my, my favourite feud ever is probably Gargano versus Champa. Like, I'm a sucker for ending that that calls back. The fact of calling back to the box 10 years ago, I'm, like, I'm lapping that up. Give me more of that. It was fantastic. Thanks to uh, to Darren as well and to Andrew and everyone who got in touch with fantasy booking this. So next week, we start a new topic, ructions and friction in the team already, because I've come up with this uh, unilaterally, but yeah, you can do the next one. The tension ne- is bouncing. Next week's topic is going to be the resurrection of Bray Wyatt. Oh. The resurrection of Bray Wyatt. He's been gone for a while. How would you bring him back? Who would he be when you brought him back? Who would he feud with? And we would like a 10-week give-or-take program. So from the moment he arrives back to what he's doing, say, 10 weeks after that, that's probably a span of maybe a couple of pay-per-views. You can have any version of Bray Wyatt you want. You can put him on any brand. You can have any bells and whistles to bring him back. But the resurrection of Bray Wyatt is our next topic. That's going to be really interesting. I'm thinking a lot because there's just so much to go back on isn't there like you already cog the cogs are churned there's just so there's so much he's done so much and not all of it's been good and then just when you think it's really good something awful would happen so yeah that's very very interesting i don't know i don't know where to go with that one uh, see, this is why you trust me to make the decisions, at least this week out. Um, so the resurrection of Bray Wyatt is going to be our topic next week. Get them in. Get the old cogs turning. Tell us how you would book it. Uh, earning the push podcast at hotmail.com uh, is the one to email. You can tweet uh, Charlie underscore Beckett, Jack underscore Merley. Final break coming up. And after this, we look at everyday life with earning the push and back to developmental. Okay, final part of the show, which is where we remember that as much as we love geeking out about wrestling, we just exist in a wider world where we would like to see more of some things and less of others. We call this segment Earning the Push and Back to Developmental. Uh, Last week, out of nowhere, nowhere, Charlie slammed Andrew Lloyd Webber and sent Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat back to Developmental, a turn no one saw coming. Uh, What do you have for us this week? Nothing quite as controversial this week. Earning the push this week is the fact that coffee shops are open again. Oh, I knew, any, okay. Yeah, anyone who knows me knows that I don't just love coffee. I need it. It's essential in my life. And actually, yesterday, I went with my better half, and we sat in and had a coffee for half an hour at um, a local coffee shop that I've been going to religiously for takeaways. It was just nice to be able to sit in and relax and just, yeah, it was just a nice change of scenery, and I'm really enjoying that. And I, uh, yeah, I'm that but on a wider scale just seeing the world safely start to come back to a bit more normality is just really really excellent going back to developmental is something that's annoyed me for a long time but it really triggered me this week is um because it happened to me at a service station is hand dryers that don't dry your hands like you have one job like incompetence winds me up a lot like if you have a job do it and be good at it. if you're not good at it don't do it find something else hand dryers literally have one job. I washed my hands at what service for that? It was Northampton Road Chef Services on the M1 southbound. Your hand dryers are rubbish. So I've 
I've washed my hands and I've gone to dry them. And like, just awful. If you're not going to give me a good hand dryer, I'm talking Dyson Airblade or an Air Force. If I'm not getting either of them, then give me paper towels because I'm walking out rubbing them on my trousers. Now, no one wants to see that walk out the toilet. That's not a good look. So, yeah, incompetent hand dryers um, are going back to developmental for me. Can I add in, and this isn't mine, but the weird adverts that are in the men's toilets at service Jack, stations. Jack, don't get me started. The things I'm seeing adverts for, I'm seeing adverts for pyjama bottoms that hide the odours of flatulence. And I'm like, what? what is going on? Yeah, I, I would agree with that. It's, but it's not in any, anywhere else. It's always in service station toilets. Yeah, it, it's like also you go into, because when I was doing commentaries, you'd be on the road a lot and you'd go in and the only time you'd ever worry about being impotent was stood at a urinal at a service station and it was like have you started thinking about this it you know it's coming for you and you think is it i'm just trying to have a wee here leave me alone leave me be yeah you just the, the weirdest thoughts happen because those adverts talking of weird thoughts i think i'm gonna out weird you for my earning the push and uh, my back to developmental earning the push for me this week are insects right i'm gonna i'm gonna need a little bit more info so I picked up a library book. I love reading. You and I both love reading. And I'm more Indeed. of a nonfiction guy. And I picked up a book from the library called Extraordinary Insects um, by a Norwegian woman called Anne Sverdup Tigerson. Great and name. Great here it is. name. People won't see this on the pod, but it's a book all oh, about insects. It's a lovely cover as well of a beetle. I have never been so fascinated by insects in my life. And I am boring my boyfriend all about insect fat. Did you know, Charlie, dragonflies have four wings. They can fly in any direction. I do know. Tell me, tell me, you're in the library. You can yes. pick up any book you want. Yes. How's that got your attention? I, uh, I just will read anything non-fiction-y. Really, right. anything non-fiction. And I thought, you know what? I don't know enough about insects. So, picked up this book. I can tell you that there are some types of um bee right most of the bees you see are women because when the men have sex it's so powerful it blows their genitals off and they die that's incredible now why wouldn't you want a book that told yeah. you that all the bees you're seeing are female because when the men have sex it kills them and they I was gonna say they don't see it coming that might not be the right phrase yes no <laughs> you might be <laughs> no so, that's 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 some, that, that'd be a hell of a chat line at a club, isn't it? Like, I'm going to literally blow your world. Like, are, are you? No, no, genuinely, no, genuinely, I, I am. Really, you yeah. don't understand. But also, to be the bee on the other side of that, to be the female bee, when they're like, how was your night? Like, I do not want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. I killed him. Let's not go there. <laughs> how was that fellow you went home with? Don't don't mention it. So I, that won't is... be seeing, I won't be seeing him again. Oh, that bad was it. Yeah, you don't understand. <laughs> So that is earning the push. Insects are earning the push. Back to developmental is the Eurovision Song Contest. Oh, you are going to be in trouble with your boyfriend. I almost revealed his name to the world then. You're going to be in trouble because I know he loves it. So before I got with my um, current boyfriend, and I assume will be for the future, I don't know why I say current like that, but who knows? <laughs> before, before we became a couple, I, I assumed that Eurovision was one day was one oh, day. Oh no, it's a whole week, isn't it? Yeah, don't I know it. So we've already gone through watching the Norwegian qualifiers, the mm -hmm. Swedish qualifiers. I thought that was it. I had the red carpet arrivals on YouTube yesterday. Now the flags have gone up. There's two semi-finals tonight and tomorrow, a jury final, and then the thing on Saturday. For this, 
I don't think I'm this bad with wrestling. Even with wrestling, I keep it to a minimum. So the Eurovision Song Contest is back to developmental. I, I have one question on the Eurovision Song Contest that yeah. confuses me. Is why are Australia in it? Oh, so because I've been indoctrinated and had to put yeah. up with this for a while. I, it's because they are big Eurovision fans and they um they wanted to go to like the 40th or 50th anniversary um, and they said, oh, come and do it as a one-off, and they were really good, and they were allowed to stay. But, Jack, we're big wrestling fans. We don't get a singles match at WrestleMania. That's like, true. Just, just, just because I, they're not in Europe. That, 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 I remember seeing that a few years ago. I was like, that doesn't sit well with me. I don't like that. Um, but, no, you are. when this goes out, you're going to be in trouble because that is going to upset him. It could be worse. I could be a male bee. And on that note, it probably seems the right one to wrap it up. Um, final question. Smackdown is on Friday nights when we meet next Tuesday. Is Cesaro still going to be in the title picture or are they going to move on? Oh, I think they're going to move on. I think it's going to upset me. All right. Well, we will see how Charlie Beckett feels uh, next time on Earning the Push. Um, His voice, we hope, will be back to normal. Well done for persevering. Thank you. I'm going to go and have a lot of um, lemon and honey and feel for the bees who had to sacrifice themselves to make the honey for me. Yeah, now now that honey suddenly has a cost, doesn't it? So um, look, Let's wrap this one up. Next week then, fantasy booking on the resurrection of Bray Wyatt. The resurrection of Bray Wyatt. Anything you want to do to bring him back, uh, earning the push podcast at hotmail.com. He is Charlie underscore Beckett on Twitter. I am Jack underscore Murley. Thank you for listening. Rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts from. And until next time, bye-bye.